0: Merry Christmas! (laughs) On Resurrection Sunday, we uh, say, The Lord is risen, and the reply is, He is risen indeed. So today, Christ is born. born Christ is born! (laughs) born. (laughs) Hallelujah. Just like the resurrection changes everything, Christ's birth changes everything. And uh, I tell you what, there is nothing more exciting to be able to come together as the family, the body of Christ, to celebrate the Lord's extravagant love for his children, his people. And as we uh, heard some of the scriptures being read, one of the scriptures was about the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And the question becomes is, is, what is that relevant to us today? How does that have any meaning for us? You know, how do we apply the fact that. Shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night 2,000 years ago. I mean, that seems so distant, seems so irrelevant. I mean, when was the last time you were walking down or driving down Broadway where you saw a bunch of shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night? Or you you, you hear about the angels and them shouting from heaven and the boom of the voice of the Lord saying, You know, on you my pleasure or my favor rests. You know, it feels so distant, so supernatural, maybe even fictional. And disconnected from the pressures that we often experience in in our day and age. And so what relevance does this passage have for us today? And I would encourage us is that if we open our hearts, that there will be profound treasures, profound truths that will change our hearts and our lives. If we allow the word of God, which is living and active, to penetrate the deepest recesses of our soul. And the power of Luke chapter 2, the message of the shepherds, is it tells us at least three things. The problem that we all have, the gift that Christmas brings, and thirdly, how to open that gift. The problem, the gift, how to open it. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray for this morning as we celebrate your birth. We recognize that your birth opened the way for the ministry that you had here on earth that allowed us to have access to your glory, your forgiveness, and ultimately eternal life, spending our eternity, new heavens, new earth with you, Jesus. So we pray your blessing over this time. Open up our hearts to your word here this morning. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. First. The problem that we all have, and that's found in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2 of Luke. And there were shepherds living out in the uh, the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. In the original language, it is phobia, phobia. Fear, fear. It's doubled, which means that they are in extreme fear. Why? This harkens back to Genesis chapter 3, when after Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, and they hear the Lord walking in the cool of the day, and they recognize the glorious one, the almighty one, the the worthy one, the one who is holy, pure, and blameless, is coming towards them, and they realize that they've sinned. And so what do they do? They literally, they hit the dirt. (laughs) They run into the trees, and they hide. And the Lord calls out, where are you? Not because he doesn't know where they're at, not because he's lost these humans. He knows exactly where they're at. The reason why he asks the question, where are you, is because it's it's an expression of the longing of the heart of our creator to be with the people that he created. But because of the sin that entered into humanity, there was separation. And so when the unworthy come in contact with the worthy, when the unholy come in contact with the holy, there is great fear and great trepidation. There is something within us in all of us, that we want to hide the true self. The, the, the stuff that's going down deep inside of our hearts because we recognize that if the veil was turned, uh, pulled back in our souls, that there would be all sorts of insecurities, there's brokenness, there's, we recognize that we are sinners, that we are wounded. And if that becomes transparent before the eyes of other people and before the eyes of the one who created us, the eyes of the one who is holy, we are fearful. We can't dwell as sinners in the presence of a holy God, so we have to hide. I mean, because imagine, if you're you're under 50, you may not recognize this illustration, but back in the day, they used to have these transparency machines. (laughs) And if there was a mark on the transparency machine, or the little sheet that you put on top of it, or a phrase, or a picture, it would get projected up on the screen. And imagine all the things that you've ever done, all of your insecurities, all of your Faults and foibles were just put on the transparency machine for everybody to see. What would you experience? Shame. Fear. Guilt. You'd want to hit the dirt, just as what Adam and Eve did. A number of years ago, my wife and, or my family and I went on a sabbatical to Costa Rica. And it was an incredible trip. And, and during that time, uh, th- there was a bunch of pictures taken. And unbeknownst to me, my wife had taken one of those pictures of all of us on the beach in our swimming suits, and she had taken that picture to be our Christmas card. She printed out about, I don't know, a 1,000 of them. I open up the box to see what our Christmas card's gonna look like, and to my horror, to my trepidation and fear, there I am in my bathing suit. Now, it's okay if that picture goes into a photo album that only the family or close friends see, but I know that that Christmas card is going out to you. so what do we do? We, we made like, I don't know, a thousand little shirts. <laughs> and we pasted them over me. <laughs> Why? I'm insecure. I want to hide. Those are fig leaves, you know. And if we are honest with ourselves, that's exactly what we do. We want to cover up what's going on inside of us by projecting out into the world something different than who we are really inside. But when we come in contact with the holy one, the glorious one, there's shame. We want to hide. We want to hit the dirt. Now that's fear, fear. But we also experience other kinds of fear. We experience the kind of fear that when we're built to remember the past and then project that into the future. And there's a kind of a fear that takes place there. We remember maybe the past two Christmases, and maybe those past two Christmases weren't so great. And so we're projecting those past two Christmases on the future. And we're anticipating that the next Christmas or this Christmas will be like a lot of the other Christmases that we've had. Or we do that with a job or a relationship. We know that the last two relationships didn't go so well. And we remember the past and we project that upon the future of the next relationship. And so we enter into that season with fear and trepidation. And we begin to imagine the worst. What if this happens? Or I can't take any more of missed expectation. I have an expectation, but here's my experience. And I fill that gap with fear because I can't go through that time again. Or we go through a time of uncertainty of the future. I want to be able to control the outcomes of my life but i know that i can't and as much as i try to control what people think about me or the situations or the circumstances that are surrounding me i can't control them and as a result of me being uncertain and uncontrollable about the future there is fear that's inside of me and the bottom line is is the reason why we have fear is because we have wounds that we can't heal circumstances that we can't control shame that cannot be removed guilt that we can't forgive and an enemy That we can't defeat. And the result of all of that, the byproduct is fear. It's a problem that all of us have to one degree or another. So what is the Christmas gift that's given to us? Because the gift that's given at Christmas solves that issue. So what is it? The answer is found in verses 10 through 14. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That's gospel that will cause great joy for all people. Notice the transition. You will go from great fear to great joy. Why? The gospel. Let me say that again. You will go from great fear to great joy. Why? The gospel. (laughs) There's one person that's with me in this, and I appreciate that faith. They know where this is going. (laughs) Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths, and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. The answer that we need, the solution that Christmas gives, is glory. Glory. That's what the angels are singing about. It's the great glory of God, and that dispels all fear. And the Bible says that when we fear God because of his great glory, that dispels all other fears. Actually, there's only one thing that we're supposed to fear, only one person that we're supposed to fear, and that word fear is awe. And when we awe God, when we fear the Lord because he is great and glorious, all other fears are dispelled away. We talked about last week, glory is the infinite, indescribable perfection and beauty of all of God's attributes. God is gloriously loving, gloriously holy, gloriously just. And that's what we're built for is God's glory. John, Jonathan Edwards says, God is arrayed with an infinite brightness, a brightness that doesn't create pain as the light of the sun pains the eyes to behold it, but rather fills with excess of joy and delight the soul. That's what the glory of God does. And literally, in the Bible, glory means weight. It means significance. It means it is the most, most important thing in our life. So the question becomes is, is, how is glorifying God, giving glory to God, the antidote or the solution to fear? because what we oftentimes do is put ourselves at the center and we've heard this before we've put ourselves at the center of our world and when we do that we'll always have fear because we're trying to control the circumstances of our life and hold it all together because we're the center but if god has the greatest mass the greatest glory the greatest weight the greatest significant and we orbit around him then we trust him to hold the details of our life together It's like, and again, we've heard this before, it's like the sun and the earth. There was a time where people thought the earth was at the center of our solar system. And the calculations never made sense because the wrong thing was at the center. But as soon as Copernicus came along and he says, you got the wrong thing in the middle, you got to take the earth out, you got to put back in the sun. And why is the sun at the middle? Because it has 333,000 times greater mass than the earth, greater weight than the earth. Greater significance. It has the ability, and only in our solar system, solar system does it have the ability to hold it all together. And when the right thing is at the center, everything orbits around it. So when we ascribe ultimate worth glory to the one whose ultimately glory is, that is the antidote to our fears. We fear him. It dispels and diminishes and dissolves all other fears. But notice this passage. That as great as that is, is not even the greatest glory. Because it's one thing to have the greatest glory out there. It's quite another thing to have the greatest glory in here. Because if if that's all we have, the glory of God is inaccessible. The the, the love of God is inaccessible. The holiness of God is inaccessible. It's just out there. So the greatest glory is not just the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, the glory out there, but the greatest glory is actually the glory come close. Look at verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. God himself has come among us, and he's the greatest glory of all. Without the incarnation, we would not have his forgiveness. Without the incarnation, there is no Good Friday. Without the incarnation, there is no resurrection. Without the incarnation, there is no ascension. Which means, without the incarnation, all of the attributes and all the promises of God are no longer accessible to us. But with the incarnation, it changes everything. Because in the incarnation, we have become united to him. And that is the greatest glory of all. Some of you guys will be watching football later on today. And some of you guys know the liturgy of when somebody scores a touchdown. Sometimes they jump into the crowd. Now, as a fan, you can't run onto the field, you weren't built for that. And it's also weird if another fan jumps in your lap. However, what's a great glory? That when somebody who's on the field scores a touchdown and they jump into the stands, the the glory has come into your lap. (laughs) Now, that's as good as I got in terms of an illustration for the incarnation. (laughs) But that's the power of the incarnation. The incarnation means that God has come into your lap. No other person can come into your lap. That's weird. And And you can't go down onto the field but God has come down and done for you what you cannot do for yourself and has opened the gates of heaven to allow you to experience his love, forgiveness, his truth, and his glory. C.S. Lewis says, we do not merely want to see beauty. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. That's the greatest glory of all. And Jesus, the fullness of God's glory, has made that known, the fullness of grace and truth. There's somebody in our congregation who's experienced this firsthand. And she wrote a testimony, and it was sent to me this week, and I want to read it to you. Notice the presence of God in her life has changed everything for her. She says, God has taught me. That his hand is constantly outstretched and steadfast for me to grasp and hold on to in the midst of storms and unbelievably painful and lonely journeys. God has walked with me through knowing tangibly and actively that he is my power, protector and provider. Not marriage, not perfect safety, not having it my own way. I have lost a lot the past seven years and have gained the deepest wealth of all. God's glory. gained the greatest wealth of all, the glory of God in the presence of Christ. Now lastly, how do we open this gift? Notice the word that has been given over to the shepherds. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his, listen, favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds received the word, on you, God's favor rests. Do you realize what a powerful word that is? Imagine somebody coming to you. Imagine an angel coming to you. Imagine somebody coming to you and saying, you are highly favored in the sight of the Lord. The Lord finds pleasure in you. What is the posture that we oftentimes take? You don't know me very well. You must not know what goes through my mind, what goes through my heart, what I think about. You you must not know the dark seasons of my life because if you knew, you wouldn't say, on me, God's favor rests. But that's exactly what it says. If you know anything about the shepherds, the shepherds were considered unclean in that day and age. They were, they were watching over their flock by night in a place near Bethlehem, which meant that they were less than five miles away from Jerusalem. And the flock that they were caring for, the sheep and the lambs, were in preparation for the temple sacrifice. In other words, the lambs that they were caring for were considered clean, but the shepherds were not. The lambs were considered worthy, but the shepherds were not. And every day the shepherds looked at their sheep it was a continual reminder that they were not worthy, that they were not accepted or acceptable. But the angels come to them and said, you are highly favored. And then what do the shepherds do? They rush to Bethlehem. They fall on their knees. They worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they receive Christ as Savior. So how do we open this gift? We fall on our knees, and we humbly receive this grace the way that we open up the gift of christmas is we fall on our knees and we humbly receive the grace that god has given us receive his mercy receive his grace receive his love receive his power we are not worthy in and of ourselves but what christmas says is is that is made available to us his power his acceptance His forgiveness, his glory, his love is being poured out upon us even now. And the way that we receive that gift is to fall on our knees and humbly receive God's grace. The God's grace that is available to us today. Now you might be here and you might have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is the day that the Lord is inviting you to come home. Or maybe you've been a Christian here for like 80 years and the invitation for you, for me, for us is the same. On this Christmas Eve day, receive receive all that God has for you, receive his grace by falling on your knees and in a posture of humility, receive Christ our Savior as Lord for you. Acknowledge him, worship him in all of his glory. It will dispel fear, sadness, and sin. And it will call us to be new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. Let us pray.